Hello and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. I'm Gareth Vaughan from interest.co.nz. As 2023 hurtles towards its end with 2024 just around the corner, we've had a slew of local economic data releases this week. This includes gross domestic product figures, news of the latest current account deficit, net migration figures, inflation insights through Statistics New Zealand's selected price indexes, and the Real Estate Institute's latest monthly housing market data, to mention just some of them. And overseas, we've had a surprisingly dovish monetary policy review from the big kahuna of central banking, the US Federal Reserve. To make sense of all this and more, I'm joined by BNZ Head of Research, Stephen Topless. Hi Stephen, and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. It's a great week to have you with us. Yeah, it's certainly been interesting. Look, I thought I'd kick off by by asking you for a bit of a general overview, and then we can unpack some of the specific data and other issues that we've we've looked at this week. So, I guess if we if we tip all the key data releases and other events this week into a blender, what comes out of it? I mean, what sort of picture are we looking at for the economy as we head towards the end of twenty twenty three and into twenty twenty four? Yeah, I guess you know what there was a lot of excitement over the data, particularly the the weak GDP numbers. Uh, in, in many ways, um, what is showing up in the numbers are sort of things that we already knew anecdotally. Um, you know, talking to businesses, they were having a really tough time. Household sectors clearly under the cosh with um, the price pressures that they're facing and with the interest rate increases they're facing into. So it was only a matter of time before it genuinely showed up in the numbers. And while the quarterly number was a little bit worse than we'd anticipated, it was about now that we really did think that we'd be seeing signs of, of the pressure. And um, it doesn't really change our view. And our view has long been that uh, the second half of 2023 and the first half of 2024 would be the trough in the economic cycle. And I think this is confirming confirming evidence of it. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, I think we've got more of this to come in the, in the quarters ahead. Now, you know, whether the quarterly numbers are negative or not, it's sort of a moot point that there's so much noise in the data at the moment that, that the quarterly figures can can paint a bit of a misleading picture. Uh, on occasion, we've got seasonal adjustment problems. We've got the importation of um, airlines, um, both through Air New Zealand and, and the Royal New Zealand Air Force. We've got clean car discounts affecting spending. We've got the post-cyclone recovery and the damage. We've got government plans. Uh, and, and all that they bring with it. So, so, so you're going to get a lot of noise. But I think the, the way we interpret this is we're just bouncing along the bottom and, and we'll continue to bounce along the bottom probably uh, until the central bank um, starts lowering interest rates. So, so there's more of this really until probably the second half of, of next year. Okay. I mean, obviously, within that uh, GDP release from Statistics New Zealand, there was obviously the 0.3% contraction in the September quarter. There was some downside revisions to earlier quarterly figures too. Was that surprising? Yeah, it's, it's always a bit of a nuisance when you when you get these revisions. Um, you know, it, <laughs> we, we spent the last uh, three months trying to work out where we got our forecast of uh, Q2 wrong, only to find out that we've now got it right. Um, you know, and uh, it, so it, it is a bit disconcerting when you get these these, these movements. Um, but when you've got the sort of noise that we that we have got, we're going to be prone to that sort of revision. But 
But I think that the key point here is that um, not it wasn't just this quarter that was weak. Uh, we, we found out that the economy overall was uh, weaker than we had thought, um, and uh, which means the base uh, going forward is also weaker. And look at all this, despite the fact that we've got really, really strong population growth. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a topic I'm, I'm really keen to, to unpack quite a bit. Um, I guess initially, I mean, you, you noted in um, your Economy Watch note yesterday following the GDP that we've experienced 2.7% population growth in the September year. Thus, if, you know, on a per capita basis, the, the economy contracted even more. And in fact, you, you noted at an annual rate of 3.1%, which is as bad as the low point of the global financial crisis. So, I mean, that you know that that isn't isn't great, and obviously, uh, if you drill into it further, private consumption was weak, and fixed capital formation or investment was weak. So, I mean, things really are pretty soft out there, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, Im- imagine what the economy would have looked like if we had not had the uh, pace of migration that we have had. Now, I, I personally think that the the extent of the migration that we're now getting is becoming problematic. Um, we, we knew uh, prior to COVID that we were having difficulty as an economy um, absorbing more than about 50 or 60,000 people in a given year. Now we're trying to absorb double that, um, and that's resulting in things like pressure on your rents, pressure on, on, on your housing market, and, and, and a pickup in demand in some places that, that will be difficult to meet. But, but the fact of the matter is, you know, it, the, the, the underbelly of the economy is extraordinarily weak. And um, we're really only sort of hanging in there by a thread, uh, thanks to the fact um, that we've got um, all, all these people coming in. And obviously, if you're Adrian Orr and co sitting at the Reserve Bank, that migration is certainly something they are watching very closely as well and, and don't have any, um, they don't really have any ability to, to, to affect that, of course. That's really a, an issue for the government. And, you, you know, another thing you noted in your in your note yesterday was that obviously the Australian government has just um, come out with a policy announcement about migration. Um, and the New Zealand government has been, certainly Christopher Luxon, the new prime minister, has sort of talked about current levels being unsustainable. So it could be that we see something as well on this front. I, I was really interested to ask you, um, if you were the Minister of Immigration, what would you do? Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's always tough getting migration right. Uh, and, and the most difficult thing, of course, is that while you can set rules for how many people come in, it's really difficult to set rules for how many people go out. Um, so so it's, it's always problematic. But I think um, at this juncture, um, we are beginning to struggle to cope with the pace of increase. So, so I, I'd be looking to find ways to, to moderate that. Now, now, some of it will happen naturally. I mean, we, we do know that businesses um, had a, a massive excess demand for labour. Uh, they've now filled up the shortfall with, with migrants. Well, you don't need to fill up the shortfall again in the next 12 months, right? Um, so that demand for, for labour and job offers will, will, will diminish. Also, we know the unemployment rate is starting to pick up now, so there'll be less incentive um, for people to, to come to New Zealand in that environment. But but I, I would, I think in this environment, be looking very, very closely at tweaking the settings uh, to, to moderate those inflows. 
In terms of the data we actually get on migration, how good is it? How reliable is it? Because, you know, I wonder sometimes if we really have enough information about just who is coming, what they're doing and, and, and why they're coming. Yeah, I th- think we've got a reasonable um, amount of data and, and definition within that data to be able to understand what's going on. If there's a problem, it's the, um, the, the, the way that the migration data is put together, uh, which is sort of a bit, bit of machine learning, if you like, that, that, that estimates um, where we are today, mean, means that, there's, that the last month's data is prone to substantial revision. Um, so it's it's not been uncommon for us to hear that say we've we've had a net thousand seven thousand inflow, and we think oh yeah things are moderating a bit, and then a month later when they revise the data you find out it was actually a net ten thousand inflow, uh, and that um, the migration was actually accelerating not decelerating. So so hopefully over time um, that that will improve, uh, and so we get a better picture, but. Um, it's always difficult, of course, because when someone crosses the border, how do you know whether they're going to stay or not? Mm. And your your point too about people leaving, I mean, that, that's obviously unpredictable at the best of times, isn't it? So there's, there's not really too much policymakers can do about that. Well, certainly it? not on the departure side. Of course, well, you, you could say that, um, you know, if New Zealand was a better place for these uh, workers to work, then they would stay here and governments can influence that. Um, but that's something you do over the medium term. It's not something you do at, uh, at the flick of a pen. Um, so, and you know, and, yeah. and bizarrely at the moment, you know, we're, we're all worried about the fact that we're losing about um, forty to fifty thousand Kiwis a, a year uh, to, to go elsewhere. Um, but imagine what net migration would look like um, if they hadn't left. It'd be even Indeed. bigger. <laughs> um, just, yeah, just back to the the. The GDP, there was just another issue in there I thought was worthy of further discussion. So government consumption was down 1.8% in the September quarter. And obviously since then, we've got a new government um, that's basically shouting from the rooftops about how it's going to rein in government spending. So what impact can we expect this to have in in coming quarters? Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't pay too much attention to the last quarter's number because it um, looks like it was a correction for the quarter before where um, government consumption... Uh, jumped surprisingly, um, but but your, your your point about where government consumption goes is is really important. I mean, th- there is no doubt that the current government, and in fact, I might add, the previous government was going to do the same thing, uh, is reduce government consumption and reduce it aggressively. Um, there are quite strong multiplier effects of that because government consumption is largely people employed. Um, so if you reduce the size of the state sector, particularly its employment, um, it will have uh, multiplier impacts on, on spending throughout the economy. And, and look, the, re- the reduction in the size of government is going to be a headwind uh, to New Zealand for some time to come. So that's definitely going to be something to watch. I mean, how significant a headwind do you think it, it could be? Well, um if, if you think about um, the, the last time we had a massive um, correction in the size of government, that was actually in the early 1990s when Ruth Richardson ran her, um, her, her mother of all budgets, as she called it. Um, well, the, the, the sort of decline in government consumption that we're talking about now um, is, is of a similar magnitude. 
And back then, it had a very, very big impact um, on both the unemployment rate and economic activity generally. Now, the, now the, the broader environment was quite different, so it would be remiss to suggest it would be exactly the same impact. Um, but, but it will be meaningful. And, yeah, and I mean, obviously it comes at a time when the, the economy is, is already weak. Um, so do you think that it might be an idea for the government to perhaps delay some of their plans until the economy is a bit stronger? I mean, they're obviously, they're obviously very keen to implement um, a smaller government, I guess, as a, as a kind of, you know, overall strategy. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem is that um, we still have inflation in New Zealand, or at least we have inflation higher than the central bank is comfortable with. That means if the central bank is to achieve its targets, it needs the economy to slow down. And um, it will get quite upset uh, if the government does anything that prevents that slowdown. Uh, and you, you don't want uh, the government and the central bank moving in opposite directions, i.e. the government spends a bit more, so the central bank is forced to raise interest rates a bit more to, to compensate for it. So that, that's one reason why the, the government will need to continue to pursue um, it, its direction. The, the other thing is the size of government has um, become quite large uh, over the last few years, large, largely in response to, to COVID, to be fair. And um, most efficient economies actually um, operate better um, when the size of government is um, not dominant. And most importantly of all this, of course, is um, just in any new government, uh, it's, not, it's nothing particular about this one, uh, comes in and looks for areas where it can make its spending more efficient. Uh, and that usually results in some form of uh, restriction to spending as well. In looking at the inflation picture, we obviously had the statistics New Zealand selected price indexes out this week. And then we, we get the next consumer's Consumers Price Index on January the 25th. What are you expecting to see from that? And will we see a meaningful drop in the sticky, non-tradable domestic inflation that the Reserve Bank is so worried about? Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the partial indicators didn't change our forecast for inflation, but that's probably because uh, we already have a, a, an inflation pick that's lower than the central bank's. So um, our annual pick for the next quarter is for inflation to fall to 4.7%. Um, and the Reserve Bank is, is sitting at 5%. Um, because we recognise many of these um, disinflationary pressures that, that are out there. The problem is um, that, or at least the problem for the way the central bank sees it, is, as you say, that um, most of those declines are coming through um, what's known as tradables inflation. Um, whereas they're concerned that non-tradables inflation remains sticky and, and they believe they have more influence over non-tradables inflation than, than tradables inflation uh, and therefore they will be reluctant to ease monetary policy if it's only tradables inflation that's, that's moving lower. Now, I, I have a little bit of difficulty with that uh, because I think that the central bank actually does have quite a big influence on tradables inflation. I mean, yeah, a classic example of that is at the moment with interest rates high, um, we are struggling to buy big ticket items like, um, you know, fridges, freezers, stereos, all those things you, you put into your house. Now, all of those are considered as tradables goods. 
And yet if we can't buy them, um, retailers are being forced to either stop raising prices or discount them. That's fundamentally inflicting, affecting overall inflation. So the first point I make is they do, do affect tradables inflation. I think they should um, be perhaps a little bit more um, co- cognizant of that. Uh, the second point I'd make is that a lot of the pressure on non-tradables inflation is coming from factors that the Reserve Bank can do nothing about. Uh, so the, the, the obvious one there is um, household inflation associated with uh, rising insurance costs. Now, insu- rising insurance costs are in part the, a function of um, the cost of building, but they're actually more to do with the fact that we've got climate change and all these ongoing uh, natural disasters. Now, now, nothing that the central bank does will help constrain um, insurance costs. Um, similarly, um, we've got um, local body rates rising aggressively um, because of um, all the, infra- the, the massive infrastructure deficit that we've built up. Again, nothing that the central bank does is going to take the pressure off that those rate spells. So um, we need to be a little bit careful, I think, in being overly concerned about that non-tradables component, uh, particularly if we're looking at relative price movements rather than general inflationary pressure. If we move on to the housing market, so we've got the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's figures for November, 6,422 sales in November, which was a 12% rise on November last year. The median selling price, though, was um, down slightly at 7,000, sorry, 790,000 year on year um, and pretty flat month on month. I guess one of the key questions I wanted to ask you about with housing is indeed coming back to that migration. I mean, so, you know, with the the StatsNZ figures for the October year, 245,600 migrant arrivals. Um, So obviously the net migration gain was 128,900 when you take off the people who left. But all those 245,600 people need somewhere to live. So obviously that at some point is going to really start to impact on the housing market if it's not already. But then, you know, I guess in the opposite direction are high interest rates, high mortgage rates. Um, so what's going to be the bigger impact on the housing market, the the, the, the huge volume of, of new migrants coming in or those high interest rates next year? Yeah, I, I, there is a third thing, and that's the um, relative cost of building a new house relative to the cost of purchasing an existing house. Um, and, and I think that... Um, over, over the next 12 months, um, the, the net inflow of migration will dominate that. Um, and um, it, it's already pushing up rents and it's already the primary reason uh, why house prices have started to turn the corner. The, the, the reason I mentioned that, that other factor and it's the relative price of building is that at the moment, it's so damned expensive to build a house that for most people, um, you will find that it's easier to purchase um, a house, uh, an existing house. Now, now, when that happens, the demand for new construction drops and the supply of new construction drops. So you end up exacerbating uh, the problem on the demand side because you've got more people wanting more houses and less people able to purchase um, or develop uh, new houses. So, so it's quite a nasty environment where, which will only really stabilise 
um, if the um, if, if there's sort of closer pricing between new and, and existing. I mean, you're always going to pay pay more for a brand new house, right, than, a, than an existing house, but but the differential is is ridiculous at the moment. So that what that will require is a reduction in the cost of construction uh, accompanied by an increase in the price of the housing. And that's exactly what we're seeing. And in terms of the interest rate picture, do you think we are peaking with with interest rates now? I mean, obviously, the, we'll get on to the US Fed in a bit more detail in a minute, but obviously we've seen a, a big drop in wholesale interest rates over the last 24 hours following that um, Fed monetary policy review. Yeah, look, I, I, I hope we're at the peak of interest rates. Um, in, in my opinion, the economy is sufficiently weak. Um, the labour market is softening aggressively and inflation is falling uh, and the central bank has probably done enough. Now, the bank might argue that inflation is not falling fast enough uh, and may yet um, give us another in- interest rate increase. But, but, but frankly, I don't, I don't think that's warranted. I think what may happen and surprise people is that, is that uh, interest rates don't fall as fast as as they would like to think, because of that residual inflationary uh, pressure. But what what I can also say is I think that financial markets have been a little, got a little bit overexcited um, by um, the, the events of the last few days, both internationally and, and domestically. I mean, to, to the extent the financial markets are now pricing in 100 basis points of rate cuts in 2024, when the central bank's saying it's not going to cut rates at all until late 2025 and may even raise rates in the interim. Now, now I think that um, there's a good chance that they do cut rates earlier than that, but they certainly are not going to, at this juncture, uh, tell the markets they're happy with that pricing. Um, so I, I think that some of the reduction in rates that you've seen um, over the last few days will inevitably reverse uh, when the central bank stands in the way of it. Um, but Go by on. and large, you know, the, the, the downside risk or, uh, to um, interest rates is certainly mounting. Perhaps uh, just on, on the, the last 24 hours or so, um, you, you'll, I'm sure you'll remember the former US Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan used to talk of irrational exuberance. Perhaps there's been a little bit of that going on. Yeah, I mean, financial markets really uh, sort of um, are bi- bimodal in, in, in the way that they they work. Um, or I should say they bipolar is probably a better way of putting it, um, in, in that... Um, <laughs> They never like markets staying still. So they, if there's a sniff that interest rates are going to go up, they'll price quite aggressive rate increases. And if, if we move from a position where they've had that view to one where they no longer think it, then they'll be quite aggressive uh, moving the other way. And that, that, that always happens at turning points. But, but I do think that um, central banks globally will stand in the way of it, at least for the time being. And, and in fact, last night, um, you saw the uh, messages coming out of Europe where uh, the ECB effectively said, what the hell are you guys doing? We're not easing that much. And I think you're going to see quite a few central banks uh, adopt that stance. I'm interested in, in getting your take on the current account deficit as well. Uh, I mean, this came out during the week for the September year, 306 billion dollars, 7.6% of gross domestic product. 
mean, New Zealand has a perennial current account deficit. It, it ebbs and flows, um, gets bigger and smaller, but never seems to go away. Former Bank of England Governor Mark Carney once said that Britain was reliant on the kindness of strangers to, to finance its current account deficit. I mean, he could have been talking about New Zealand as well. I'm just wondering, I mean, in terms of actually addressing it, if, if, if we're actually ever going to, it's not something that policymakers specifically target, um, directly at least. I'm just wondering whether they could, and if so, how? Yeah, look, I mean, the, the good news is that our current de- account deficit is broadly now heading in the right direction, i.e. it's getting smaller. Um, whereas uh, if you went back 12 months ago, uh, it was getting higher, faster, and it did look like uh, it was going to become a policy conundrum. Uh, the rating agencies were starting to sniff around and look at it, and, and there were some issues there. Um, for the time being, however, um, I think it, 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 it will continue to head in the right direction. We're starting to raise um, a lot more revenue um, from our external sector, um, largely tourism, uh, returning to New Zealand. Uh, we're starting to see um, commodity prices again pick up a little bit after having uh, c- corrected uh, very aggressively. Uh, export volumes uh, hopefully will, will, will pick up, particularly as we recover from some of the the, the impacts of, of, of the floods. So, so there is now uh, – well, the other thing that's happening, of course, and this is what, one of the reasons why this, the central bank is aggressive, is it's trying to remove uh, uh, domestic demand or reduce domestic demand. So um, as we import less because we demand less, that will also uh, help help the current account balance. Um, but it's something we need to keep a, a very close eye on. Um, and it, big high current account deficits reflect excess demand. And in some ways, what you could say is that both the government and the central bank is trying to address that. They haven't targeted the current account per se because it's a, it's a very difficult thing to to target because of the, its componentry. Um, but, but they're definitely cognizant of it. We have um, still an unemployment rate that is low by historical um, standards, I guess, at 3.9% or 118,000 people. But obviously with the economy weakening and you know, you're know you talking about it continuing to be weak through at least the first half of next year, obviously the Reserve Bank now no longer required to, to target maximum sustainable employment as part of its monetary policy remit. Are we going to see a noticeable increase in unemployment? Yeah, look, um, we, 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 we already are really. Uh, yes, it's very low, but don't forget it's gone from 3.2% to 3.9% in reasonably short period of time. And right now, um, for for the first time in quite a while, what we're seeing is that the growth in the supply of labour, and you can re- say migration if you if you like, um, is growing far faster than the growth in demand for labour, and, and so that's going to push the unemployment rate inexorably higher. I mean, we we think that you're going to see an unemployment rate rise to around six percent um, over the next two years. The Reserve Bank itself is forecasting an unemployment rate to, to rise to 5.4%. And, and, and I know a lot's being made of the, the, the change in the, uh, the, the target for um, or the removal of maximum sustainable employment from the central bank's target. But, but realistically, the labour market is one of the key drivers um, of inflation. 
and if you've got excess demand in labour, you get um, increasing wages, which becomes inflationary. So, so the labour market will always be critical, like a critical component of um, containing inflation. Uh, and that's exactly what you're witnessing now. And um, yeah, un- unemployment's on its way up. If we cast our, our eyes overseas now, obviously that, that Federal Reserve review of its monetary policy this week was the real, the real big event there, um, holding the federal funds rate at 5.25% to 5.50%. And, you know, the suggestion coming through of, of three interest rate cuts next year, which is what really got financial markets excited with a rally across um, asset markets and a big drop in US Treasury yields and, and wholesale swap rates. I noticed uh, Bloomberg were, were, were quoting someone this morning saying, assuming this doesn't mean the Fed is now worried about a recession, it has given investors the green light to keep buying risk assets with both hands. So, I mean, obviously some people have been buying risk assets with both hands in the last 24 hours. But I guess what does this this all mean from a New Zealand perspective? Yeah, I mean, the, the first point I'd make is, again, the markets have got ahead of, ahead of themselves. Yes, the Federal Reserve has got um, 75 basis points of cuts in, in its uh, dot points for next year, uh, but the market is actually priced in 125 basis points of cuts. That's ricocheted around the world. The ECB's now got 100 basis points of, point of cuts priced in. Bank of England's got 100 basis points. RBNZ's got 100. Uh, and even the Australians, who look like they're probably going to raise interest rates again, have got 50 basis points of cuts priced in. It's all coming off the back of that that Federal Reserve uh, move. You know, ultimately, the Federal Reserve is taking that stance because it does believe that the US economy is going to slow. And when the US economy slows, it slows the uh, rest of the world with it to to some extent. Um, So it it is good, I guess, you know, medium term um, for for interest rates to to begin their decline. Uh, And we do tend to reprice asset prices upward um, as a consequence of it, one's a, a direct pricing effect. The other one is simply because ultimately it means that growth will be stronger than it would otherwise have been. But but I think, you know, the, we still globally got a period of restricted growth through most of 2024, uh, which will be unhelpful for New Zealand. And obviously a key trade partners for us uh, include certainly China and Australia. What sort of influence do you think we could see flowing through to New Zealand from them next year? Yeah, look, um, starting with China, uh, I mean, the Chinese um, now really, or I should say the consensus view is that China will grow somewhere between 4 and 5% um, over the next 12 months. Now, while that's not um, wonderful by Chinese standards, I think people forget that um, China's now much closer to being a developed economy than a developing economy, and developed economies don't grow that quickly. I mean, if you know, you don't hear anybody, you wouldn't hear anyone in New Zealand complaining if someone said we're only going to grow four percent next year, for example. Um, so um, while China's had its issues and will continue to have its issues, um, I think broadly speaking now. Um, Demand from China looks like it's stable, stabilising, uh, and in some cases actually picking up. We've, we've certainly seen, for example, dairy sector um, t- turn the corner quite nicely uh, thanks to uh, China's uh, demand growth. It, it may not be quite so good in the construction sector, for example, because um, 
that they're building less. Um, some of the excesses in the Chinese economy, in fact, came about because they built too much. So areas like um, forestry uh, and wood products uh, in New Zealand uh, may not reap the benefits of a, of a stabilising Chinese economy. But, but I think by, by and large, um, it, it is stabilising. It'll perform better than most economies. Um, and um, that, that will help uh, New Zealand in, in total over the next um, 12 months. And not least of which, of course, is the re-emergence of the, of the tourist um, from, from China. Uh, and when you come around to Australia, um, Australian growth rate is still falling. Um, and, and we expect it to continue to decline um, so that its annual growth rate drops to around 1% um, through the first half of uh, next year. Um, China, uh, Australia is a, a major uh, export de destination for us as well. Um, and uh, that, that will constrain some of our ability to, to export. So I, I guess what it says is uh, just generally the, the, the global economy is not disastrous, but it's not particularly supportive um, of, of any boost to our exports. And obviously, if we if we cast our net a bit wider um, overseas, there's there's still two two wars. Obviously, Ukraine and the Middle East going on at the moment. There's concerns about drought in the Panama Canal, which is obviously of interest to us as a trading nation, and and also issues around the, the Suez Canal. Um, and we've got a U.S. presidential election next year, so geopolitical tensions with China may may potentially ramp up. So if we sort of tie all this together along with what is going on domestically, um, I guess it, once again it's not going to be a dull year next year. But, uh, I mean, what would be your sort of, I guess, to, to sort of wrap up your uh, key expectations? Yeah, look, I think volatility remains the order of the day, unfortunately. Um, and we, we still have the worst of this economic recovery to get through. Uh, you know, as we alluded to earlier on, yeah, the unemployment rate's got to go a lot higher yet. Um, we're just seeing the first signs of businesses getting into uh, into difficulty because their cash flows insufficient to, to meet their costs. I think um, we're going to see more businesses fall over uh, as we move into the new year. Um, so, so it's going to be a tough six months. Um, but, but the good news is... This is a normal economic cycle in many ways. Um, and as those, uh, as, as that period of tough, toughness um, hits, that increases the likelihood that interest rates fall and it increases the likelihood that the medium term uh, shows a marked improvement. So, so it's, a, it's a case of being, being flexible, aware of the volatility, um, you know, be, being careful uh, over the next six months, and if you can see your way through that, then the outlook for um, second half of 24 and into 25 improves dramatically. Thanks a lot for that, Stephen. That is Stephen Topless, BNZ's Head of Research, looking at uh, what's going on in the New Zealand economy and what's happening overseas and what we can expect to see next year in 2024. And I'm Gareth Vaughan from interest.co.nz with another episode of our Of Interest podcast. 